The following sermon, entitled Jesus' Suffering and Crucifixion, was preached on the morning of December 11, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word this morning to Psalm 22. Psalm chapter 22, we will read the whole of the chapter, and we do so in connection with Lord's Day 15 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Psalm 22, this is the inspired and therefore infallible Word of our God. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Why art Thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but Thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. Thou art holy, O Thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in Thee, they trusted, and Thou didst deliver them. They cried unto Thee and were delivered. They trusted in Thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lips, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near where there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, and the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before thee, before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, 
and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before Thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and He is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before Him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him, it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Thus far we read God's Word. It's on the basis of this passage and many others that we have the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 15. Lord's Day 15. What dost thou understand by the words, He suffered? That He, all the time He lived on earth, but especially at the end of His life, sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sins of all mankind, that so by His passion, as the only propitiatory sacrifice, He might redeem our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtain for us the favor of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did He suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? That He, being innocent and yet condemned by a temporal judge, might thereby free us from the severe judgment of God to which we were exposed. Is there anything more in His being crucified than if He had died some other death? Yes, there is. For thereby I am assured that He took on Him the curse which lay upon me, for the death of the cross was an was accursed of God. Both when it happened and still today, there are many different responses to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. There are many different responses when it happened. For you will remember that when Jesus was crucified, He was hung on a tree outside the city of Jerusalem nearby one of the roads that led to and from the city so that all men could see Him there. And there were many who passed by our Savior as He hung there on the cross. And the responses were no doubt varied. The main response that we read about in Scripture is that many who passed by wagged their heads and mocked Him, saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save Thyself. If Thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. There are many who scorned our Savior. Undoubtedly, there were others who when they saw that sight, perhaps stopped for a moment, gazed upon our Savior and the other two men, and then simply kept walking without taking further notice. And there were few, if any, who understood what was going on that day and appreciated it for what it was. But now the question is not so much how did people respond the day that Jesus was crucified, but how do we respond when Christ crucified is evidently set forth in the preaching of the Gospel. Are we like those who perhaps stop for a moment, but then 
just keep right on moving with our lives because there's other things that are more important to us? Has this scene become so familiar to us that we're hardly moved by it at all anymore? Or even worse, is it true of some of us that we've begun to view the cross as foolishness so that it's become a a stumbling block for us? Or, do we still not only stop at the cross, but do we run to it with a sense of wonder and appreciation for what took place there when our Savior was crucified so that we might have salvation? What's our response to Christ crucified? That's the question that comes to us this morning because this morning we do consider Christ's suffering and crucifixion. We have been making our way through the Catechism's explanation of the Apostles' Creed. And within the Apostles' Creed, we are in that section that treats God the Son, and we are up to that phrase in the Apostles' Creed in which we confess to believe that He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified. That's the statement that we are considering this evening. And thus it brings to our attention Christ's suffering and His crucifixion. And it calls us to consider therefore what took place there. And rather than just passing by, rather than wagging our heads and hurling reproach upon what took place there, we're to stop and to marvel with gratitude and love in our hearts for Jesus' suffering and crucifixion. So this morning, let's consider Lord's Day 15, Jesus' suffering and crucifixion. Under that theme, Jesus' suffering and crucifixion. First, we'll look at the psalm of His suffering. Another way I thought about naming the first point was the prophetic picture. If you want to add that to your notes for those of you who take notes. But first, we'll look at the psalm of His suffering. Second, the explanation of His suffering. And third, the benefits of His suffering. Anytime someone visits our church for worship, one thing that might stand out to them is that within this building, there is a notable lack of pictures or statues of Jesus Christ. If you go to some other church, in particular a Roman Catholic church, you will find many pictures and statues of Jesus Christ. And the most prominent one is what is called a crucifix. A crucifix is a statue of a man who has a crown of thorns pressed on his head and he's hanging from a cross. And this is meant to depict Jesus Christ as He was crucified. For good reason, we do not have a crucifix or any picture of Jesus because the second commandment forbids any making of images and worshiping God through those images. And because Jesus Christ is God, therefore we do not have any pictures or statues of Jesus Christ in our church. But that does not mean that we are left without any sort of picture. 
For the reality is that in Psalm 22, we have a rather vivid portrayal of Christ's suffering at Calvary. For you see, Psalm 22 is prophetic of the suffering and crucifixion of our Savior. And that's evident from the fact that in Psalm 22, there are certain things about which David speaks that David himself never suffered and really never could have suffered. So it's not just David's experience that he's writing about. And what is more, when you compare Psalm 22 to the various Gospel accounts, it's obvious that the writers of those Gospel accounts understood that what they observed or what they had heard about was fulfillment of Psalm 22 and that they draw from Psalm 22 and point out the fulfillment of it in Christ's crucifixion. So Psalm 22 is prophetic of the suffering and crucifixion of our Savior. We can take these words written in Psalm 22 and put them into the mouth of our Savior Jesus Christ. This psalm gives us a prophetic picture. And now, by putting it that way, that it gives us a picture, I'm not encouraging us to try to develop a mental picture in our head of what Jesus' face looked like and what He looked like on the cross because even that sort of mental image is forbidden in the second commandment. But nevertheless, drawing from Galatians 3, verse 1, for example, we can say Christ is portrayed here, evidently set forth in this psalm. It's in light of that that Charles Spurgeon called this psalm the psalm of the cross and said about this psalm, quote, it is the photograph of our Lord's saddest hours, the record of His dying words. End quote. So let's look at this picture. And that it shows us the suffering of our Savior that He suffered physically. That He suffered the reproach of men and that He suffered spiritually. First, this psalm reminds us that Christ suffered physically. We see that when we start in the middle and work our way backwards. Verse 18, for example. Jesus says, the psalm speaks prophetically so that Jesus says, they part My garments among them and cast lots upon My vesture. And Psalm 18 is one of the clearest indicators that yes, this is pointing us to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This actually happened and that the soldiers who crucified Jesus Christ split apart His belongings and they cast Lots for his vesture, for his outer robe. And this was part of his suffering. For the one who did not have a place to lay his head was deprived of what few possessions he had at the end of his life. And what is more, we read what we do in verses 16 and 17. For dogs have compassed me about. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and they stare upon me. His hands and His feet were pierced. This can't be a reference to David. That doesn't happen to him in his life. But this points us to our Savior. He was pierced. What a vivid word that is. With nails and a hammer, the soldiers bore a hole through his hands. And later he was pierced again 
when a spear was driven through his side. He was nailed to the cross and then that cross was set upright and dropped into a hole so that it sat upright. And then He was made to be a, a spectacle. It was as though Jesus was on in some sort of a display case for all who pass by. He says that they look and stare upon Me. They can tell all My bones as He hangs there on the cross. He suffered physically. And we're given a description of that suffering in verses 14 and 15. He says, I am poured out like water. Jesus Christ had already shed many tears. Jesus Christ had shed much blood when He was scourged, when He had that crown of thorns pressed into His head, when He was crucified. And now, having endured all that, He says, I'm poured out like water. I have nothing left in Me. There's no strength. And then he adds, and all my bones are out of joint. This may well be indicating that when that cross was lifted upright and made to settle in that hold, that the jarring motion could well have dislocated Jesus' soldiers. And if that did not actually happen, at the very least, that's what it would have felt like for Jesus Christ as His body sagged with His arms stretched out. This is a part of Jesus' suffering. He says in verse 15, my strength is dried up like a pot shirt. He felt like a broken piece of clay that was cast back into the fire so that every drop of moisture was, had evaporated. He was weak. He was without strength. He says, my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. No doubt a reference to the severe thirst that he felt as he hung there on the cross. And finally, he says in verse 15, Thou hast brought me down, brought me into the dust of death. A reference to the fact that when man dies, he returns to dust. And so great was Jesus' suffering that as he hung there, it felt as though that process of decay was already beginning. Jesus suffered physically. But in addition to his physical suffering, He also suffered secondly, the reproach of men. And that too, is a part of the prophecy here in this psalm. For example, in verses 12 and 13, we read this, "...many bulls have compassed Me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset Me round, they gaped upon Me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion." He speaks of bulls compassing Him. And no doubt this is reference to those religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, who played the role that they did in Jesus' trial and in His death. They came to gloat. They thought they had triumphed. At last, they had taken care of this phony Messiah. And in a way that far surpassed what they themselves had dreamed up. Now He's, he's nailed to a Roman cross. If there's anything that proves that this is no Messiah, it's this. He's dying an accursed death. They were filled with glee. And they let Jesus Christ know it. They mocked Him. They ridiculed. They led the way in hurling reproaches upon our Savior Jesus Christ. 
And others joined with them. Verses 6-8, through Jesus says, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see Me laugh Me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver Him. Let Him deliver Him seeing that He delighted in Him. That last verse there, verse 8, is another verse that makes so clear that what we're reading about in Psalm 22 is a prophecy of what took place at Calvary. That's exactly what happened. They said, well, He trusted God. Let Him save Him now. So when we read verse 8, we almost wonder, is this a prophecy or are we reading actual history here? This took place. He was, he was mocked. He was ridiculed. They, they laughed at Him. And so great was this part of Jesus' suffering that we read what we do in verse 6 prophetically of Jesus Christ. An unspoken crossword as it were. Jesus saying, but I am a worm and no man. What a statement that is. The I am that I am, Jehovah Himself says, I am a worm. A helpless, powerless, downtrodden creature despised and crushed underfoot by those who pass by. Made to writhe as one who is trampled upon. That was the suffering of our Savior. But now not only did He suffer physically, not only did He suffer the reproach of men, but third and most importantly, He suffered spiritually. In His heart and soul, He he suffered in that way too. And that comes out especially in verse 1. Where we read that familiar cry of our Savior, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? After Jesus hung on the cross for three hours, He lifted up His voice and said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? That was Jesus' experience as He hung there as He endured the wrath of God against our sin. What a thing. It's one thing for Him to be betrayed by treacherous Judas. It's another for Him to be abandoned by His fearful disciples. It's still another for Him to be denied by timid Peter. But to be forsaken of God? Because consider who we're talking about here. This is God's only begotten Son. The Son whom He loves. The Son to whom He had said, this is My beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And now we hear the Son crying out to the Father, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? I do not know about you, but there are a few things from my perspective that are more profound in all of Scripture than that cry. 
And evidently, Luther felt the same way. Tradition tells us that Martin Luther, after meditating for some time on those words, spoke out saying, God forsaken of God, who can understand it? And the reality is that no man can understand the depths of that statement. God forsaken of God. But though we don't understand the depths of it, we do know that it meant great suffering for our Savior Jesus Christ. On the basis of Scripture, it's clear that Jesus Christ suffered like no other man. And it's on the basis of this passage and many others that the catechism teaches what it does. Our catechism is a faithful summary of what Scripture teaches. And question answer 37 gives expression to that. Question 37 asks, what dost thou understand by the words He suffered? Remember, that's a part of the Apostles' Creed. He suffered. The answer that He, all the time that He lived on earth, but especially at the end of His life, sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sins of all mankind. If you distill that down to the basic sentence, the basic sentence is that He sustained the wrath of God. Jesus Christ suffered the fury of God, the hatred of God against our sins. He endured the agonies, the torments of hell. He suffered God's judgment against sin. And the Catechism teaches us that the reality is that He suffered this His entire life long, which suffering got progressively worse towards the end of His life. The Catechism says that He, all the time that He lived on earth, but especially at the end of His life, Jesus Christ suffered all of His time on this earth. For already as a a newborn baby. His parents have to run away. He's being persecuted. Herod wants him dead. And he suffered throughout his life. And that he experienced all those things that are common to mankind the sickness, the, the pain, the disease, the trials. And you can be sure that he knew what it was to be reproached, to be mocked well before he ever got to Calvary. He suffered his entire life long. But yet that suffering got got worse. Over time it progressed and the climax of that suffering was at the very end of his life. For what we read in Psalm 22 is prophetic of what takes place in the the last week of his life. What we call the the Passion Week as some of the catechism students just learned. That's the week of his suffering. His final suffering and his death. And the ultimate climax was those last three hours when all went dark and God poured out His wrath upon His Son. Jesus Christ suffered. And what is more, the catechism reminds us that He suffered both body and soul. That He sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against sin. He suffered in body. That was not the, the worst part of it, but it was a part of it. And we may never minimize that aspect of Christ's suffering. That's a part of the prophecy that we read. 
So we're given this vivid imagery of how intense the pain was for our Savior. He suffered in body and He suffered in soul. He suffered in soul in that the guilt of our sin was placed upon Him. He knew God's disfavor on account of that sin. And all His life looming before Him was the cross of Calvary where He knew He had to die and lay down His life. He suffered God's wrath there on the cross. So much so that we read what we do at the very end of verse 14. Psalm 22, verse 14. He says, My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Oh, how hot! The agonies and the torments and the fires of hell must have been. So that Jesus Christ says, My heart was melted. Because understand, this is the heart of the One who is God. This is the heart of the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And yet, He says, My heart was melted. So intense. So excruciating was the suffering of His soul that this is what we read about. When we look at the psalm of His suffering, the psalm of the cross. So what explains all this? Why? Did Jesus so suffer? Because as we already pointed out, this is, this is God's beloved and only begotten Son. What explains why He would be made subject to such severe suffering? Why He would be crucified? Well, to state it negatively, the explanation is not His own sin. For the reality is, Jesus Christ had no sin. We saw that last week when we consider Christ's sinless humanity. Though He was made like unto His brethren in all things, there was one important exception, namely sin. Jesus Christ had no original guilt. He had no original pollution. He had no actual sin. He never sinned in thought or word or deed or desire. He lived a perfect life. And therefore, it was not on account of His own sin that Jesus Christ suffered all that He did. And, God, and our God made sure that was very plain at Jesus' trial. What was Pilate's verdict? What was Pilate's conclusion of Jesus Christ after hearing the accusations, after questioning Jesus Christ Himself? What does Pilate conclude? I find no fault in Him. This man's innocent. This man has not done anything wrong. And Pilate says it no less than three times. I find no fault in Him. And the key is that we need to see in that God at work in the heart of Pilate 
So that God Himself through Pilate is making this declaration concerning His Son. That His Son is in fact innocent. Not just that He's done nothing wrong before Roman law that would be cause for the Romans to put Him to death. But more importantly, He's done nothing wrong before the law of God. And He's not deserving of death from God Himself. He's innocent. He's sinless. And so it's not for His own sin that Jesus Christ suffered what He did. Instead, positively, the explanation is that He suffered all of this on account of our sin. As Scripture teaches us, for example, in 1 Peter 2, verse 24, who His own self bare our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. 1 Peter 2, verse 24 is one of a number of passages that links, that connects together Jesus' suffering and crucifixion with our sins. It was because our sins were placed upon Him that He endured what He did. Right, catechism students? Catechism students, we've gone over this. The 6th and 7th graders, we've gone over this recently when we talked about what we call in Reformed theology His state of humiliation. Do you remember talking about that early on in the year? How Jesus Christ had our sins placed upon His shoulders. And because our sins were placed upon His shoulders, His legal status is that He was guilty. And because He was guilty, Therefore, He deserved death. That's what we're talking about. We've learned about this in Essentials class. When we talked about justification recently and we made a diagram of imputation and the top half of that diagram was our sin being imputed, transferred over to Christ's account. And the Essentials students will remember that with that sin came death. And it's broader than just death. It's all the suffering. Because my sin was imputed to Christ, therefore He suffered all that He did. And this then explains the trial of Jesus Christ and the outcome of it. Pilate could see very clearly Jesus is innocent. I find no fault in Him. Yet Jesus Christ is condemned in the end. Why? Why would God allow this? Well, it's not so much that God allowed it as that God Himself so governed all things so that He would be condemned because He was being condemned on our behalf. He was being condemned as our sin-bearer. And that's the explanation that the catechism gives of Jesus suffering under Pontius Pilate. That's question answer 38. Why did He suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? That He, being innocent and yet condemned by a temporal judge, might thereby free us from the severe judgment of God to which we were exposed. We deserve judgment because of our sins, but our sins were placed upon Him and therefore He was condemned on our behalf so that we might be set free. And thus, when we read Psalm 22, 
when we read the Gospel accounts that tell us about His suffering, His crucifixion, we understand that the explanation, the reason for all of that suffering was not on account of His own sin, but on account of ours. But now, what does that say about our sin, beloved? And more specifically, what does that say about the seriousness of your sin and mine? We have a tendency to try to minimize our sinfulness. To think that it's really not that big of a deal. That God is not all that bothered if I do this or if I do that. So that we convince ourselves it's not that big of a deal if I harbor covetousness in my heart. It's not that big of a deal if I distort the truth ever so slightly when I'm telling a story. We tell ourselves it's not that big of a deal if I waste time at work while I'm on the clock. It's not that big of a deal if I let my eyes linger a little longer on that image that came up on the computer screen. And surely it can't be that big of a deal if I have a little anger and resentment in my heart toward my family, towards my spouse, towards my children. These are just little sins, right? That's our inclination to minimize sin. And the remedy for that is to go to the cross. Because while the law does show us our sin, it does not bring out the seriousness, the gravity of sin like the cross does. If we want to see how bad is my sin, then we need to go to Psalm 22 and be reminded of the suffering of our Savior Jesus Christ. Be reminded of who it is suffering here. This is God's beloved Son. This is not just some slave. If a slave does something wrong and gets corrected, well, that's fine. But you could argue, well, he's just a slave. Of course his master is going to punish him. When we do something wrong and that God would punish man a part of His creation, that's not... That far of a stretch, that makes sense to us, but it still doesn't get at the gravity, the seriousness of sin. But that God would punish His Son. His only begotten Son. The Son of His love. The Son of His bosom. His natural Son. On account of sin, speaks volumes to the seriousness of sin. How provoking it is to our God. Especially when we remember what He suffered. The suffering was so great that the very prospect of going through it, the prospect of going to Calvary, made this One who is God, the, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, The One who's the fellow of the Lord of hosts. The Mighty One. The the wisdom and the power of God. To tremble 
to cry, to sweat. And to wrestle in prayer to God. Oh, how he suffered. For God bruised him. God put him to grief. God poured out his soul as a sin offering. And God hid his face from him. God forsook him. Beloved, do we have any idea how great our sin is? Look at what it cost him in order to pay that sin and the debt that we owe. It's at the cross of Calvary that we see the seriousness, the gravity of our sin. There's practical application in that. There's practical value to this. For our own battle against sin. Because understand, the the devil and our own sinful flesh wants us to minimize sin. To think it's not all that big of a deal. And when the old man tempts us in that way, Our response should be that we grab that old man by the the back of the head and say, look at the cross. Look at what my sin deserves. Christ had to die for me because of that sin. And so no, I'm not going to harbor that covetousness. No, I'm not going to distort the truth. I don't care if you tell me it's a little sin. I'm not going to lust after that woman. I'm not going to be angry at my spouse. Because that's what sin deserves. And that's what comes out from looking at the suffering of Jesus Christ and His crucifixion. And that was my sin that put Him there. So we've explained the reason for Christ's suffering. Not His own sin, but on account of my sin. But now, we're not yet finished with that explanation. Because why would He be willing? Why would Christ subject Himself to this on our behalf? There needs to be a deeper reason, a deeper explanation, and that deeper explanation is His love and His mercy. For you see, Christ was willing in all of this. That comes out in another psalm that's prophetic of the suffering of our, not of the suffering, but prophetic of Jesus Christ and His saving work. For example, in Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8, This is a prophecy of Christ so that really we can understand this as the Son speaking to the Father. And the Son says to the Father in Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8, Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of Me, 
I delight to do Thy will, O my God. Yea, Thy law is written within my heart. Those verses are giving expression to the willingness of our Savior to come and to fulfill God's will, which included suffering on our behalf and dying. And what this is telling us is that Jesus Christ was not dragged kicking and screaming to the cross of Calvary. He was not crucified against His will, but He went willingly. For He gives Himself over into the hands of His enemy. He just lets them take Him. And when the soldiers go to crucify Him, He's he's not fighting and struggling, but He gives Himself up. He lets them do it. He suffered. He was crucified willingly on our behalf. Voluntarily. And if we ask why, what made Him willing? The explanation is His love. His mercy. It was the love of the Father that made Him willing to send His Son into this world to suffer all that He did. And it was the love of the Son that made Him willing to endure it all, to go through with it, so that if we want the the deepest explanation for why did Christ suffer all that He did as it's set before us in Psalm 22, the answer is God's love. And oh, how He loves us, congregation. We're tempted to doubt it at times, aren't we? times we question His love towards us. If He really loved me, why would He let this happen? Why do I have to go through all this physical suffering? If He loved me, surely He would just take it away. And what we're doing is we're we're judging God's love. We're basing God's love based on the circumstances of our life. But that's not how we are to judge God's love. But we know God's love for us by looking to the cross. That's the manifestation. That's the, the demonstration of His love. So did our Savior love us. That He was willing to endure that physical suffering. That suffering on account of the the reproach of men and the, the the spiritual suffering of being forsaken of God Himself. That's His love toward us. And if He loves us that much, you can be sure He will freely give us all that we stand in need of. And He will take whatever difficulty, whatever hardship that comes our way and use it for our good. Because you see, those are the benefits of His suffering and crucifixion. There are great benefits for us on account of His suffering and crucifixion. And at the forefront is our salvation. It's by His suffering and death that He accomplished our salvation. And that's what the catechism is at pains to emphasize throughout this Lord's Day. This Lord's Day has three question and answers and each of the three makes clear that Christ suffered all this in order to accomplish our salvation. Question answer 37, the second half after explaining that He suffered and sustained the God's wrath says, 
that so by His passion, as the only propitiatory sacrifice, He might redeem our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtain for us the favor of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Speaks of His suffering as a propitiatory sacrifice. That is, by His suffering, He covered our sins and thus appeased our God. That is, He he paid the debt for our sins. There's the covering. And He satisfied God's justice. He appeased the wrath of God. And in doing that, He's accomplished our salvation. There's salvation both negatively and positively. Negatively in that He's redeemed us, body and soul, from everlasting destruction. We don't have to worry about the consequences, the punishment for our sin anymore. But then there's also the positive. The catechism says that He's obtained for us the favor of God, righteousness and eternal life. The benefit of His suffering is that He saved us. Same thing in the next question and answer. Why did He suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? That He, being innocent and yet condemned by a temporal judge, might thereby free us from the severe judgment of God to which we were exposed. Though we will not stand before the earthly judge, Pontius Pilate, every one of us must stand before the great judge, God Himself. And if we are going to stand there in and of ourselves, we will surely be condemned. If we stand there in and of ourselves, we stand exposed to the wrath of God. That's what we have coming to us. That's what we deserve. But because He suffered under Pontius Pilate, He has freed us from the severe judgment of God to which we were exposed. Instead of suffering the wrath of God, we're now given life from God. So that the point is that the benefit of His suffering is our salvation. And the same thing in the last question and answer. Is there anything more to His being crucified than if He had died some other death? Yes, there is. For thereby I am assured that He took on Him the curse which lay upon Me. For the death of the cross was an accursed was a curse of God. Speaks of the curse which lay upon Me. On account of my sin, I deserve the curse of God. His curse is His word of wrath against sin. His, His punishing word. But we've been delivered. Because Christ was made a curse for us. So that rather than being the objects of His curse, we are the objects of His blessing. That blessing that He he pronounces to us every time at the end of the worship service. Regardless of which particular benediction we use. That's the Word that comes to us rather than the Word of God's wrath. And all this is to say that the great benefit of Christ's suffering is our salvation. He did it for our good for our advantage, for our profit. And in light of that, we have assurance. Question and answer 39 
for thereby I am assured. And then what follows? I'm assured because Scripture tells us there is no condemnation. Not even a little bit for those who are in Jesus Christ. I need not fear the wrath of God. I need not fear that His curse still rests upon me, but I can be I can rest assured that all my sins are forgiven. That I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to me and thus I have the right to eternal life. That, beloved, is the benefit of His suffering for you and for me. At least that's the first one. The second is that by His suffering, He has transformed our suffering. Because we do suffer. And that comes out in Psalm 22. It's primarily prophetic of Jesus Christ. But it does also speak to the believer's experience. For we too suffer physically. Whether it's chronic pain, whether it's the, the side effects of chemotherapy, whether it's the pain of a recent surgery, whether it's a toothache, whether it's a broken bone, there's physical pain. So too, we suffer reproach. We are not immune to being a laughingstock in the eyes of the world. And what is more, we suffer spiritually in the sense that there's that, that guilt of sin that we experience when we willingly fall into sin again. And what is more, there's other forms of suffering, whether it's seeing a, a loved one get caught up in sin, the, the, the grief of a wayward family member, whether it's when we see trouble in the church, these are different forms of suffering, of pain that come upon us. But our comfort is that by His suffering, Jesus Christ has transformed our suffering. He changes it altogether so that our suffering is not sent to us in wrath. God is not seeking to destroy us. It's not that God's curse still rests upon me. But whatever suffering we face is now sent in His love. It's for our good. That's the the transforming work of Jesus Christ. And what is more, because He so suffered and was forsaken of God, we can be absolutely certain that we will not be forsaken in our great hour of need. The cry of Jesus Christ was, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? The cry of Jesus Christ that went unuttered but was still a part of His experience according to verse 2 was, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but Thou hearest not. That's what Jesus endured. But because He was forsaken, 
as God's children, we will never be forsaken. When we cry out to Him in the daytime, He does hear. He hears and answers. Even even in those times that it appears as though He's being silent. It appears as though He's not listening. He has not forsaken us. He has not abandoned us, but He's there. He's with us in the struggle. He's promised that very thing that He will go with us through that suffering, through that pain. Because Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf. And so, beloved, having heard Christ evidently set forth, having seen Him portrayed in Psalm 22, what is your response to His crucifixion? Let it be that by faith we rejoice in it, recognizing that in that suffering and death is our salvation. Amen. Father in heaven, blessed be Thy name for Thy love and Thy mercy which Thou hast shown to us in Jesus Christ. Fill our hearts with thankfulness and strengthen our faith. Hear this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.